I bet you haven't heard of this name. Clarence Birdseye. Think about it. Have you heard of that name? Clarence Birdseye. If it wasn't for him, we would not live in this amazing life. What do I mean by that? We wouldn't be able to enjoy, I wouldn't be able to be here talking to you because a simple thing that he invented has made life so much easier for all of us. Welcome to the Evan Weiss Show, broadcasting from the West Coast, raw, in-depth, and relentlessly hacking the mainframe. Here's Evan Weiss. And I'll, I'll read excerpts of this article uh, by The Hustle. Uh, it's titled, The Father of the Modern Frozen Food Industry. You might get to know what I'm talking about by that obvious headline there, but here goes. Today's frozen food section is a vast and adventurous tundra. In the course of a grocery run, one might encounter frozen gourmet turkey sausage, frozen Italian meatballs, frozen farm-raised shrimp, and an array of frozen fruits and vegetables, or even if luck strikes, frozen pepperoni pizza, egg rolls. Courtesy of America's resident culinary psychopath, Guy Fieri. Every major supermarket devotes at least an entire aisle to freezer space, with one good reason. The frozen food sector is a $220 billion global industry. In 2018, Frozen food saw a 2.6 sales growth, nearly twice that of fresh food. A trend industry analysts largely attribute to a recent advancement in freezing technologies. The 20th century innovation that launched the global frozen goods industry is considered to be one of the great advancements of modern civilization. But the industry's chief pioneer is hardly as ho a household name. Right? You, I mean, you never heard of that name when I, when I mentioned it, Clarence Birdseye. You're like, who the hell is that? He was a man who spent years freezing fish in below 40 degree Fahrenheit weather. He saw an opportunity to improve a subpar process and then built an entire infrastructure to bring his ideas to market. Born in Brooklyn, New York in 1886, Clarence Birdseye, began a life in the midst of America's technological revolution. Seismic, seismic shifts were underway that would dramatically alter the landscape of the country. Railroads, steel production, and the spread of the telephone and electricity. Birdseye was drawn to nature, however, but also the industry's spirit of the times. Birdseye spent his time as a youth, finding ways to profit off the natural world around him. Once, he noticed the abundance of muskrats in the nearby field, wrote letters to local zoo director to assess the demand, and ended up trapping and selling them for $1 a piece. He let, later replicated this model with frogs, netting 115 bucks in profit, 3000 bucks in today's money. Uh, at the age of 11, he launched his own taxidermy school and placed ads for prospective students in a magazine. Birdseye later enrolled at the Amherst College in Massachusetts. But when his family fell on hard times, he dropped out, joined the U.S. Biological Survey, and ventured to the American Southwest, where he quickly found a side hustle selling coyotes, 
Okay, that goes on to say soon to he'd embark on a new adventure, one that would alter the wow, course of his life and eventually the course of America. <laughs> I know why he's on the hustle uh, article. In the spring of 1912, Birdseye moved to Labrador, a remote, inhospitable, cold region in Newfoundland, uh, uh, now eastern Canada. It was not considered to be a place of great economic promise, but Birdseye sniffed out the market for a fox for fox experts. The article goes on to say that in short order, uh, he was dog sledding across the vast frozen tundra, capturing wide, sil uh, wild silver foxes, first for breeding and later for furs. Two years after arriving, he reeled in a $6,000 profit. Today would be $154,000. So to me, this, this guy goes to show that wherever you are, in whatever situation you happen to be in, anywhere in the world, if you have inside of you that will to succeed, that will to do the things that you want to. And by the way, when I say succeed, you don't have to be making large profits and making tons of money to, to succeed in life. You don't. Everybody has a different way of succeeding in life, whatever they consider to be success. But, uh, I mean, the whole idea with this guy is you have to have that fire within you, right? You can't say, Oh, because I live in this small town in America, I can't make money. Oh, because I didn't have parents when I grew up, I can't have uh, success in my life. Oh, because to support the show, go to evanweiss.com forward slash NordVPN. Protect your browsing from criminals and surveillance with NordVPN. All the data you send and receive online travels through an encrypted tunnel. This way, nobody can get their hands on your private information. Secure all your devices with Windows, Mac OS, Linux, Android, and iOS. Plus, you can protect up to six devices with a single NordVPN account. So go to evanweiss.com forward slash NordVPN to get an unheard of 70% discount. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too fat. I'm too dumb. You, you really, really can't say that. I mean, you really, even even the idea that you might be too dumb doesn't necessarily mean you can't be successful because I've seen many documentaries and read many stories and got to talk on the phone with lots of people who are considered to be officially, quote unquote, mentally deficient. Uh, you know, there's a word, the R word that people don't use anymore because it's considered insensitive, but they're considered that. And they run their own business uh, there, there's a famous guy, by the way, who, who runs his own business in downtown New York, who makes, who's incredibly successful, more successful than the average person who sits around and plays video games all day. And that goes to show that no matter who you are, where you are, what circumstance you happen to be in, if you believe in yourself, and if you're willing to put in the work, you can achieve absolutely anything. And this is a great example of that. I'll continue with the article. A convincing salesman, Birdseye raised $20,000 in today's money, it would be $300,000, and launched Birdseye's seafood with the promise of revolutionizing the logistics of frozen food. He ran a series of experiments attempting to replicate the Arctic climate of Labrador, testing different salts, boxes, and conditions. In one instance, he even tried to freeze a fish with ice and an electric fan. Though the company showed promise, it ran out of money in 1924, and Birdseye re relocated back to uh, Glock, uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts, a port 
city with a thriving fishing industry. Here, he raised more funds, this time a whopping $375,000, and today's money would be $5.6 million, and launched General Seafood Corporation. So, I mean, this guy kept going and going and going. After he might have failed once or twice, three times, he kept going and going and raising money, moving to a different location to try a different a different environment that might be more hospitable to the kind of endeavors he was pursuing. And eventually, he was able to successfully uh, start his company, General Seafood Corporation. He actually eventually sold the company to, I believe, here, well, let's read the rest of it here. In 1929, Marjorie Merriweather Post, the then president of what is now Post Consumer Brands, the maker of cereals like Grape Nuts and Honey Bunches of Oats, partnered with Goldman Sachs and bought out Birdseye Company for $23.5 million, which today would be $350 million. General Seafood Corporation was rebranded as General Foods, and Birdseye was kept on site as a director of research with an annual salary salary of $50,000, which would be equivalent today of $750,000 a year. At the onset of the Great Depression, he built himself a lavish 17-room mansion, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. So, he was able to sell his company uh, to Goldman Sachs, and he was able to retire a very, very wealthy man, and uh, eventually was able to... to. I mean, it's, it's not really the wealth that was important. Some people, that's important, but it's the fact that he was able to succeed at what he wanted to do. And in this case, he was able to change... Uh, the way that Americans and the rest of the world really was able to preserve food in a way that, that you know, I mean, because back then people would use other other things like salt, putting tons of sodium. That's why when you eat things that are pickled or, or things in can, it's, it's an incredible amount of sodium. And so when you freeze things, you're able to preserve food without having to inject tons and tons of sodium, with, which eventually over time is not really good for you anyway. But he was able to do that. And that is more important than any of the wealth he could have ever made, any of the money he could have ever passed down to his kids, is minuscule compared to the impact of this technology that was since then able to improve the life, the lives of billions of people. I mean, that, that is true in my book, Success, when you're able to help humanity at that large scale. And eventually, he, he passed away. Um, by the by, the time Birdseye died of heart failure at the age of 69, he had 168 frozen food-related patents to his name. A few years before his death, a reporter at the American Magazine asked him to identify the secret to his success. He said, quote, When I visit a strange city, I go through the local industrial plants to see how they make things, he said. I don't care what the product is. I'm just as much interested in the manufacturing of chewing gum as of steel. So he's really interested in how things are manufactured. He doesn't care what what it is. It could be chewing gum or steel. He just cares about the whole manufacturing process. There were many times uh, in Birdseye's life where he could have prospered simply by capitalizing on existing opportunities, but he chose to take a different path. And today his spirit lingers in every frozen food aisle in America. I mean, amazing, amazing. That was really, really great. Imagine that. Do you have the strength or the wherewithal mentally, physically, spiritually even, if you want to say that, to just pick up and leave and go to another city and try something new 
And you have to remember, this guy came from a very humble background. He wasn't this incredibly connected guy where he knew all these socialites all over the world. This guy was came came from a humble home. You know, a, a lot of us make excuses like that. Well, I don't know these people. I'm not connected. I don't, for whatever. These are all excuses of people who don't want to do things, right? So do you, do you have that? Do you have that in you? I know I do. I know I've actually done it many times. I actually, actually, actually relate with this guy in many ways because I think it's incredibly exciting to go to a new city that you've never been to before and live there for six months, a year, two years, and get a different perspective of how things are done in that city, how people think, what their culture is like, what their local customs are. And sometimes you get to see opportunities. Everywhere I've gone to, everywhere that I've gone to, everything that I've gotten into myself that's unfamiliar, different from anything that I've ever known before, I've always found opportunities. Why? Because I get to see things from a different perspective from the people who live in those areas or who work in those industries. When you're an outsider and you come in, you look at things completely different. And those are where opportunities are born. And those are in those situations are the best places you could put yourself into because you're able to see things in a way that could be profitable to you. It, it, it doesn't have to be profitable, but it can be profitable in a, in a knowledge way, right? It's, it's you, you get a certain knowledge from being there and from your perspective colliding with that experience of living in an unfamiliar place. You can get a wealth of information that later on you could use down the line in your life to achieve other things that you might be interested or endeavor later on. So... I encourage you to, if you have the opportunity, and uh, reality, you have to make that opportunity if you really want to. If there's a will, there's always a way to go out and try a different city. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to the big city. A lot of people in small towns are like, I want to go to the big city. I want to go and, you know, challenge myself. But look, look, at, look at him. Bird's Eye actually went to a lot of random, small, weird towns where no one would ever think that there was an opportunity. But in those places are where the biggest opportunities are, in my experience. When I've Look, if you go from a little town to L.A., New York, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Miami, whatever, Paris, London, Berlin, Shanghai, the reality is that you're going to be met with stiff competition in, ter- in, every, in every single way. Housing, people funding, expertise, everybody, everyone is there competing like crazy, right? So, I mean, think about it, especially if you're from a small town where you don't have that kind of experience, where you don't have that kind of bravado, that kind of grit, and you go to a, a city where there's just nothing but the best of the best, uh, you know, the, the biggest, most ruthless Uh, people that you could imagine, you're probably not going to do too well. I mean, when I go to small towns all over this country, I think to myself, wow, a lot of these, a lot of these places are so innocent in terms of the way they think is so innocent, but not in a bad way, in a good way. Like, wow, they're so like, they're so normal compared to like the big cities that I've lived in and I grew up in and it's more wholesome, but there's a lot of opportunity there, right? Because you have that background and that knowledge and that experience of how to do things in a way where big cities or more advanced cities are able to do them and have solved these problems, right? So if you, I think if, you, if you're if you a person who comes from a small town, you should go to another small town 
or a smaller town than your own. And that way, you have that opportunity to see things in a different way, and you could probably capitalize on that. Again, not only financially, you know, a lot of people don't like the idea of like people from bigger cities going to smaller cities and exploiting the local population for money and opportunities and contracts and all that stuff. I understand that. Hey, but it's a free country, and we live in a capitalistic city, and anyone could really live anywhere they want, and that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. There's nothing illegal about that. It's completely, but you know, on a moral level, some people might might say that. But again, those are only haters, right? Those are people that only hate you because you're able to be smart enough to capitalize on on something, right? So again, you don't you don't really have to do things based on what people who who suck at doing life have to say about your life when you're succeeding. So do that. Do whatever you need to do in order to succeed, different, different, live in different areas, and achieve what you want to achieve. Thank you for listening to The Evan Weiss Show. Head over to iTunes to listen to previous shows. Questions? Email us at e at evanweiss.com.